making dark Isn't it funny how hard it is to start Making money, making art But you're not alone In the unknown of making money, making art Hello, hello, and welcome back to Making Money, Making Art, the podcast where we have transparent conversations with artists about money and dive deep on all aspects of creativity. I'm your host, Kate, and today I have some peppermint tea and am fully curled up in my blanket slash sweater. I'm recording this just a couple of days before my half birthday, which I don't personally like celebrating my own normal birthday very much, certainly not half birthdays, but it is marked in importance this year because that means there's six more months until I turn 30. A few years back, I made a 30 before 30 list of things I wanted to accomplish, which I am still shooting for, but one of the other goals with an end date of the big 3-0 that I set was when I quit my corporate finance job. I wanted to be making as much money from my art, from my content creation, as when I was not self-employed. So far, I haven't quite hit that yet, though we will see if this is the year. Of course, that revenue goal isn't the same as the full package of benefits I received from my corporate job, including retirement and health insurance, and doesn't touch the additional expenses my business needs to sustain itself, which my guest and I discuss in full today. It is my pleasure to introduce y'all to Gigi Huntley, painter, writer, hairdresser, and creativity coach who uses her own salon space in Boise to sell her art. She was given the superlative of most creative her senior year of high school, even though she wanted best dressed. We chatted over so many wonderful topics, at times just musing aloud together about how we fully believe that art deserves to be shared, but also how we sometimes make our own art too precious and that we're scared to let it be seen by others. We discussed her routine, the importance of carving out physical space for your art as well as mental space, breaking down financial goals, expanding the boundaries of what it means to be creative, and so much more. And I do want to warn y'all that there is a little bit more background noise than usual as we are both having some mic troubles, but I think I was able to fix most of it in post. And I hope you all enjoy hearing from Gigi as much as I did. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Yeah? <laughs> it's a, a day that we're not working, so it feels good. And it's okay to be here. You know, it's just kind of relaxed, so. Yeah, that's nice. So this is your studio space. Like, how how big I'm is it? Literally sitting in my in the chair that people in sit in. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. <laughs> okay, okay. So we're gonna start with the uh, the first question. But okay. how much money do you make from your creative endeavors? <laughs> so if I look back on my um, Square app, mm -hmm. it's honestly so before I pay all the taxes and before yes. I pay all my bills and everything else. It's around 80,000 now. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then I pay my rent and pay for product and pay for all that stuff. And it looks like I make very little, but really it's because we can legally write off a lot of things. So, yeah. Which is why self-employment is a good thing until you realize you also should be putting aside a lot in retirement. <laughs> so. Oh my God. I know the retirement thing has been killing me. Do you have an accountant or like having done this for years, are you just like, okay, I kind of know what I should be well, writing off. So before my husband joined me, I could, I used to do stuff with like TurboTax kind of software. Um, and I know, I know people who, who just do it through the free IRS.gov thing, but that was too, I felt like I needed to have the extra questions. Mm -hmm. So I used that, but when my husband and I got married, we started using a tax preparer that worked with a 
CPA. I always jokingly think of her as the nurse practitioner with the doctor. You know what I mean? Yeah, She's yeah, yeah. Work, but there's someone to check it all. Um, but she does our stuff, and it's because at the time he he was in IT, and then later became a barber, so we could work together. And then uh, it's just it's just easier to have someone who knows all the new things coming up. And then now because of like the PPP stuff mm -hmm. and the coronavirus stuff, um, it's just nice to have other people that know the stuff that took the seminar, that went to the conference, whatever. Uh -huh. You know, here are all my things. We separate out the receipts so that it, I mean, we know which category she wants them in now. And we mm -hmm. just, we have all of them. We keep them for years. I probably have some from the nineties, to be honest. Dang. Oh, that's <laughs> what, if yeah. they ever came to audit me, I would have everything. You're like I will give it all to you. <laughs> well, when you're, when you're a small business and frankly, we're a very small business. It's mm -hmm. just the two of us. Um, then it, it's one of those things where if you did get audited, you want to make sure that in the end they're like, oh, you missed some stuff. Here's another 50 bucks instead of the other way around. You yes. A hundred percent. I was actually just reading. Um, I go on Reddit sometimes and I was reading the personal finance subreddit and they were talking about how they just started their own business. And then uh, there was like a horror story where their uh, accountant didn't file for them. And so they uh -huh. had to have all this stuff later. Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's why it's I keep every record. And yeah. we've done where we've been so close and didn't have everything finished for her. And we're like, just file an extension, you know, like it just gets so stressful. Yeah. Um, and last year and this year, we just filed as early as we can. We're trying to get in the habit of just doing it. And then sometimes you forget and, uh, and like, you'll get like a weird, like student loan paper at like January 28th. So she knows to wait until like the middle of February before she actually sends anything off. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because we do have things like student loans, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I feel like it might look like we make a decent amount of money now um, together because we're an, uh, we also are a partnership. So we're an LLC with 50-50 partnership. Okay. But I make the bulk of our money because I've done this for a very long time. And I have a lot of regular clients who have been with me an average of 19 years now. So I've had a lot of these people in my life for longer than my own daughter. Yeah, so, yeah. It's pretty nice. And then uh, it took me a long time to actually open my own shop. Mm -hmm. For a while, I would I would rent a booth from somebody and I was self-employed, but it was their hours, their whatever, you know, and their mm -hmm. product and whatever might be going on um, that I was selling. And then it was 10 years ago when I decided to just bite the bullet and I started a shop in downtown Boise. So I thought, I'll just, I'll just go for it and I'll just be downtown. But I learned through the years that because of that model of business, I had to have outside partners and I had two different ones at different times. And I, I was, when you're tied to someone in a partnership like that, and unfortunately mm -hmm. any creative industry does have it, it, its issues with mental illness and addiction. It was some of that that kind of came up. And, and after almost five years downtown, I thought, you know, my clients are complaining about parking. I don't want to deal with other people's reviews. Mm -hmm. So anytime someone would not give us a five-star review, I would automatically contact these people and fix it. Yeah. I just didn't want my reputation to be tied to a group of people. And so I finally, after the last thing, there was a big thing I won't even talk about right now that had to do with addiction though. And I finally just said, I'm done with downtown. And I mm -hmm. moved to a part of Boise called The Bench, which is just up on this hill by a train depot that's kind oh. of historic. So it's, it's a beautiful area. It's 
I always, I, I always was part of these different subcommittees with the city to help rebuild the bench and all of this. So to me, it's like the Brooklyn of Boise. Yeah. So where people were like, oh, the bench, it's close to downtown, you know, kind of thing. And, yeah. and it's building itself up. And I moved and I thought it's just going to be me and my clients. I'll have a little gift shop. And that's when I got brave enough to start selling paintings and collages mm -hmm. that I make and things like that. Okay. So, so, and then after that, it just was no big deal. I just, I decided in 2018 that I would start posting my art every day. And then people started asking, can I buy this? Do you have this? And so I started bringing it into the shop and now I sell on a pretty regular basis paintings. So that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, that's so freaking cool how you were able to merge so many things. And it's interesting that you're I, the path is always winding, right? But like yeah. to have gone from the downtown location, working with different partners to now being with your husband yeah. at a location yes. that you've loved for however long, like that's really cool. Yes. What yes. was the decision like um, to have your husband come and work with you? So it was always sort of a joke that he, he would say, when we retire, I'm going to be a barber and we're going to have some little tiny shop in Greece or Italy. And we're just going to mm. do like little old men hair or whatever yeah and I was like yeah that's how we're gonna retire you know kind of thing <laughs> yeah. my husband was an IT specialist for like 25 years mm -hmm. and uh he got tired it's a smaller community and so he would get something would happen with a big company and then it would suddenly be he's laid off and he'd go back to another company he had worked for and mm -hmm. then they would have a big shuffle and then he'd get laid off and he'd go back to another so it was like the same three spots mm -hmm rotating. And the last time it happened, he came home and I was stressed out because it was right after I moved from downtown. And I just had the whole experience still like floating around in my head and heart. And it's just hard stuff. And mm -hmm. I just tried to play up the positive. Yay. We have our own parking lot, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. He came home, told me the news that he'd been laid off and said, I'm not doing this. I'm stepping off this merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. And he said, I think I'm going to be a barber. And I thought, oh my then we'll have, basically I became the main breadwinner mm -hmm. you know, because he would have no income coming in. He had a significant savings when we got married that is now gone because mm -hmm. we basically lived off that. Yeah. And, um, and it took him a while to build his business because I had picked this sort of hole in the wall space when I moved up here uh, because I didn't, once they knew where I was at, it didn't matter. I didn't need to right. advertise out on the street. I was like literally the shop around the corner of this big building but when he decided to come in, I worked with other people in that same building. We created an event called um, this, the Vista Bench First Friday. And our building was called the Hoppy Building. So we called it, we called it the um, First Friday Hoppy Hour. And so That's we got great. people to kind of trail through, because I had done events downtown. Um, I, I, I've always been like a community organizer in my own mind, you know, mm -hmm. not Obama, but close. So <laughs> but um, I just, I thought if we can do this and I had people that agreed, let's do this together. And then, you know, that sort of started breaking up and we needed a different location for him to grow. So we moved in December, 2019. And then of mm -hmm. course we, we did so well. If I went off of those three and a half months that we were open, yeah. it showed that we would have had a significant increase in money that we would have made. Mm -hmm. because this location is so much better for him yeah and his business was really booming and then we closed for nine weeks mm -hmm. and in those nine weeks 
I really ramped up the paintings and I was writing a lot and talking and doing small videos on Instagram, things like that. And people, I, part of it was they wanted to help our family. They've known mm -hmm. me, like I said, a half my life almost. Yeah. And they decided they would start buying stuff from us. So um, we had a lot of retail sales. We had people that outright donated to keep us open. I mean, yeah. I think when you create a community around your creativity, it does make a difference. I mean, look yeah. at your Patreon and everything, right? So yeah. it's, it's important to, to be able to ask for that help, mm -hmm. which is really hard to do. That is so hard. Yes. No, I can't imagine. I, I mean, I, on a tiny level, I felt that with Patreon being like, if you can donate a dollar a month, like, and it does, yes. it makes you feel, you feel uncomfortable for the first amount of time doing it. And then you realize that, oh, wait, no, people do want to help. They want your content you. too, mm -hmm. though. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have people that sit in my chair and say that they look forward to, because I, I, I'm a person who, after everyone's in bed, that's when I really have my own time. So mm -hmm. I don't go to bed till like two. Okay. And, and so they'll, these people are like, I'll wake up in the morning and I look forward to seeing your stuff. And even people that, that are like lurkers and they don't comment mm -hmm. or even like, and I'm thinking, I don't, I didn't even know you noticed my stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they come in and they're like, I just look forward to it every day. And yeah. I thought, well, that's nice. And I know. So that makes it after a while, you're like, okay, it's, it's not just me like begging for your attention mm -hmm. to help me with my art. It, it's like they really do enjoy it yeah There's no other reason to tell me that you know what I mean yeah so, yeah the January before we had to close for nine weeks I did a, a pay what you want sale and mm -hmm. I put out a bunch of art that because I I post every day mm -hmm. and and usually it's like up to 10 little pieces you know because okay. I practice on small things yeah before I make a giant one that okay yeah. Yeah. So I just do dozens of these things to figure out what I want to do. And then I'll make the big one. And um, I did this pay what you want sale. And I thought, you know, I might make a couple hundred dollars. I made $4,000. That's amazing. And it was before we had to shut down. So it was a good thing we had that little cushion. Mm -hmm. uh, that was enough to cover our lease for the shop and our home. Mm -hmm. uh, Boise's housing market is really terrible right now. And really? And my husband and I have been together 10 years and we had to fix things that we had had credit wise with our exes. Yeah. And we had, at the time we got together, our kids were first graders. Mm -hmm. So um, now they're in high school. So it was like, we, by the time we finally fixed all that, there was no way we would ever own a house again. So we're kind yeah. of at the whim of the rental market. In Boise. Yeah. Oh, and it's so hard. Yeah. Renting is tough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I also have like... A million different questions after this. <laughs> what your routine? I, as someone who's a morning person, I cannot imagine staying up that late to do it. But also, like, I mean, that's the time you have, right? So, like, you're right. raising your kids, you're running your business, and then you're trying to do another portion of your business. Yeah. And you got to find the time to do that. So, what is your yeah. routine each day? So, it's really bad after being closed for the nine weeks. So it mm -hmm. used to be, I would start my day at the shop at nine. So I would get up around seven 30 or, or eight. I, mm -hmm. I'm not like, I wore lip gloss for you, <laughs> but, but I'm like the weird minimalist stylist. I blow dry my bangs and air dry my hair. And then when I get here, I can maybe finish stuff. And sometimes I don't. And that yeah. people are like, okay, Gigi has messy art style, whatever. <laughs> um, and, but I would just get up, get ready and go to work. 
It wasn't like some people get up at 5.30 and they linger. And my husband's like that. He he can't help himself but wake up like as the sun's coming up. Mm-hmm. I have always been a night owl. Yeah. And, but I forced myself to be able to get up at like 7.30. And when the mm-hmm. kids were younger to get them to school even earlier. Yeah. But then I do stuff at the shop. And then one night we get home, it's like dinner and then kind of family time. And then I just sort of start slowing down and I sit... And, and to be honest, I'll have like really horrible um, shows streaming while I do art just in the background. You what know? kind of horrible are we talking about? <laughs> well, like right now I'm rewatching Ghost Whisperer. Like it's stuff that, I mean, I think it's yeah. entertaining, but I don't have to watch it. And then it has to have a little, if I do look up, it has to have a sense of like something beautiful to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I will freely admit I watched all of, what is it, Bridgerton? Because it was just like gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's stunning. Super sexy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Same. <laughs> I was like, wow. And I kind of, it made me look up the history of it because I loved that it was sort of based on what could be truth about mm-hmm. having, you know, a mixed, you know, queen. Mm-hmm. So but every time I'd look up, it was like gorgeous, you yes. know, and Ghost Whisperer, she has that beautiful store. She uh-huh. wears very beautiful clothes. I mean, I, it just, I've watched so many weird things like that lately, just because if I look up, I want to have something inspiring happening. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I have the weirdest routine. And then yes, probably around one o'clock, I start telling myself, you should really go to bed because you have to get up. Um, since we were closed, I start my day closer to 10. And frankly, mm-hmm. I that's like a couple days a week. I usually my first client's at 11 and then I'll work until like seven, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, even getting to work at 10 sometimes right now with my brain trying to get used to the different sleep is just not happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just letting myself, I, that's the beauty of being self-employed. Yeah. I can do that. You can roll with whatever's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. My husband, because he's a morning person, will sometimes take clients as early as eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, oh no, I, <laughs> I would never. <laughs> you don't want me to come at you with sharp stuff. And I don't know, I'm not as creative in the morning. I'm mm-hmm. really just like in get there mode. I need coffee, you know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. morning person where if I have to come here and I haven't had coffee, one of my family members will know that they have to deliver me some. You yeah. know, like someone will be bringing me caffeine. It has to happen. Yeah, yeah. That's so sweet though. As someone who also lives <laughs> off of her coffee, I fully understand. <laughs> I'm like... Uh, you know, I got to use good teeth whitener. It's just, yeah. 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 It's, it's coffee in the morning and like red wine at night. So yeah. hundred percent the same. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think my husband and I have figured this out too, because we are together a lot. You know, we mm-hmm. work in the same space right now. We've divided the space pretty well. I'm grateful that we had moved because he can have his clients come in a back door. So he has his business in the back half of our building and we, and I have mine in the front. So Mm -hmm. it's worked out so well. We've been lucky. Yeah. Um, But for most of the year, we just took turns coming in because we were already like, we're we're kind of fatigued mentally Mm -hmm. at for more than two months. So we had to get you standing again. So we just took turns. And then we finally said, okay, when we did our taxes, we were like, we know we can make more than this. So Mm -hmm. that's when we divided our space. So yes, checking in on your finances is really important. Mm -hmm. And when I created goals for myself for doing hair, I would sit down and tell myself, I want to make this much a year. 
And then I would divide that down to months, divide it down to weeks. And then I mm-hmm. would know, okay, I have to do this much because yeah. our pricing, you know, I figure I do this much in haircuts, this much in color, and you just have to figure it out. And I, it's the same with art. I know that there are, I won't sell as many of the big pieces I want to do, mm-hmm. um, but I'll sell an awful lot of what I consider like medium pieces, like yeah. poster size, you know? Yeah. And I'll sell a few of the really small ones, but you know, I mean, you kind of start doing what, I mean, and it sounds terrible. People are like, really, you're an artist and you want to like create what you know people will buy. Is that against what? And I, I always think, no, I'm still doing what I want, but I know that like this size will work for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. There is this weird balance between being like in quotes commercial and then yes. like doing what drives your creative spirit or something. And I think that I, people, if you meet in the middle, people on yes. this side think it's like, how dare you leave yes. all your artistic integrity behind? And it's like, well, but <laughs> I'm still doing what I want. It's just people might buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our local weekly newspaper is going to post, they're going to use one of my abstracts as a cover. And it was odd because when I, I reached out to me, because we have a mutual friend, she mm-hmm. said, you need to reach out because I just think you should. She, yeah. she has bought my art and she said, you need to meet Gigi and she put it together. So I took a whole bunch of paper pieces down and I said, I have big things, but I don't want to carry a bunch of canvas in here. Um, but you can, if you look on my Instagram, you'll see a lot of the stuff I'm working on. And he liked two a lot. And I said, just keep them. I said, and I'll, I'll sign them based on how you want to orient them. And I, he looked at me like, what the heck? I've never had an artist say, how do you want me to orient these? And then I'll let you sign. And he just kind of was surprised, I think. Mm-hmm. But I said, I, I have done, I mean, I, I've written for um, like local magazines, you know, and mm-hmm. it was like advertorial work, but at least I made money. Yeah. And I remember them saying, okay, we need to fit this here and this there. And we need a bigger picture to fill up this spot. And I thought it's abstract. And I'm the ones on campus I'm attached to, and Mm -hmm. I'll sign them before I even show them to people. But the small things, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. So if you like it this way, then that gives me some feedback. And I guess I need that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. When did you start painting? Is that something you've kind of always done or? So when, when I was a senior, I got voted most creative at mm-hmm. my school. And I remember being so pissed off because I wanted to get best dressed, but I was kind <laughs> yeah. of a weird kid. So who knows? Um, we didn't have a ton of money when I was growing up, kind of poor actually. So I did the weirdest stuff. I did like collages. My friends would give me like hand-me-down bop, mag teen bop or whatever they're called. Yeah, and I would yeah, go yeah. to the library and buy like, old magazines for a nickel, like National Geographic and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I did a lot of collage and and the glue that I used wasn't actually glue. It was like, I would use leftover rice because my mom's from the Philippines. We had rice three times a day. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would kind of make it into like a paste. So when I was really yeah. little, I would do all this stuff, like lots of collage. And the teachers were super generous. I grew up in Northern California and I always joke that California went broke educating everybody. Yeah. So we had all sorts of supplies and the teachers mm-hmm. were like, yeah, Gigi, take a handful home. Like on Fridays, they knew that I was that kid and they were like here and they give me that weedy brown paper, you know? Yes. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. So punch holes with my pencil and use like dental floss to make little books. Mm-hmm. So I was making little books at like seven. Yeah. Using rice to paste in pictures and, you know, like all the librarians knew my name, the teachers wanted to be generous. And so I, 
you know, was willing to ask for that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, and I still do some collage. I really don't sell collage a lot, but it's just fun for me. Um, and it's, it's weird because when I got into high school, I was really academic and I didn't take, I, I did take drama one year, my freshman year, and then I never took it again, but I always was involved in theater. Mm-hmm. Like I would act and right now, um, I'm just stepping down from my presidency of a theater board here in Boise because I just don't, I'm like, I just don't have the time to do what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. We reopen. I think they need someone with more of that focus. Yeah. But that was really like, it was privately creative, I guess. And I didn't realize that other people were seeing that. So when I got voted that, I remember thinking that's weird, you know, <laughs> right. it's just strange, but but that's what I, you know, now I'm like, woohoo, I got voted most creative in 1990, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, the painting came later. I got an associate's in art through a weird correspondence school. That's totally not accredited. I'm sure, you uh-huh. know, I have, yeah. I still have the weird books and everything, but that's the first time that I bought actual paints for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were just cheapy paints, you know, yeah. like whatever was that, whatever kind of big, grocery slash department store. So, I mean, like really bad watercolors and mm-hmm. acrylic that smelled a little funky. So, right. yeah. but I started painting then and I still have some of that work. And honestly, when I look back, it's it's nice. I really like it's raw. I didn't do abstract back then. It was like a lot of portrait type work and oh. mm-hmm. a lot of, I, I still occasionally will do a lot of faces just to make sure I'm still in that practice. And I guess in a way it's like an abstract realism thing. Cause they're not like some people do photo quality paintings, you know, yeah, yeah. you look at it and you can't tell. Yeah. That's not me. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm also an impatient person. So I right. need my stuff to be done, you know? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's a very weird personality trait. I know <laughs> I have, I have artist friends who are like, they'll post something and they're like three years in the making. And I'm like three years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm working on a painting for three years, I better make a lot of money, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a fair point. That's also, there's something, there's like a high from finishing something. Yeah. I think there's a confidence built, obviously, from the yes. more you finish. I could be such a bad procrastinator if I, yeah. you know, when if I you don't let yourself, yeah. Yeah, it's bad. I don't know. Well, how did you get into, so you said you do a painting a day. At yes, least, right? at least. Yeah, some, sounds like lately multiple. I've been doing like 10 or if you look at my Instagram, it's like 10 sometimes, you know? Yeah. How did you get into that habit or what made you like have that as a goal? Um, so in 2018, I told myself, I think I'm going to post one thing a day or at least whatever I'm working on that day. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's random stuff, you know, or one time we went camping and I forgot art supplies. So on our way there, we stopped at a gas station and I mm-hmm. got like Crayola, you know, yeah. and like a thing of construction paper, mm-hmm. but I was determined that every day I was going to do art. And they started that. I probably really started that after my husband and I got together because, um, when I was married before I did do a lot of paintings. I didn't sell them. They just sort of cluttered up my basement mm-hmm. and my ex wasn't as supportive. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say he wasn't like a believer in my ability, but it just wasn't a healthy relationship anyway. Yeah. And then Tony, my husband now, um, he could tell you this story, but I used to use my walk-in closet as this little tiny studio. Mm-hmm. And 
Have you ever read The Time Traveler's Wife? Not the movie, but have you ever read the book? I have not read the book. I have seen the movie. So is it very different? Terrible. The book is so good. And she's an artist. Mm -hmm. Claire is an artist. And at one point, they're in this little tiny apartment. And she always made like ravens. One day he comes back and she's just sitting there crying. And she's basically like, all my stuff is small. My art's become small. And I remember being in my walk-in closet doing these little tiny things of art. And um, I just sat there and cried. And I thought about that part of the book. And I Mm -hmm. thought, my art is small. I don't have space. And Tony came in and he could, I mean, I had the door shut and he's like, he can hear me like sobbing. Yeah. And he opens the door and he just comes in. He's like holding me. He's like, what is the matter? And I told him, I said, my, my art's small. I don't have a space. Like the kids each have their own room. Mm-hmm. I had got him this giant desk so that he could do like gaming and have the two monitors. And it was like the gift I got him. And I said, I don't, I don't have space. I feel okay. like I've never had space. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have money as a kid. I didn't have space. I, I need this. I, I need it or I might die. Mm-hmm. I mean, I seriously, it's, um, gosh, I'm getting all emotional. Um, I need it. Mm-hmm. And so I got home from work. And he and the kids had created space for me. Oh my God. All about, he knows I need it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I take up probably 30% of the garage and he is a total neat freak. Everything that he does is very well organized. And my daughter is also an artist. I mean, Mm -hmm. as a baby, I was, I used to make her frozen fruit crayons. Yeah. I have paintings she did as like an eight month when she could sit up in her high chair we yeah. would sit at the table and paint together. Yeah. So art is always part of her life. And mm-hmm. so he just sort of accepts the fact that the two of us are a little messy. He'll yeah. occasionally be like, can we kind of pick it up a little bit? Um, but he gets it and he totally understands when I spend a lot of money on art supplies and mm-hmm. I need them. Yeah. And he doesn't care. In fact, he is the guy who puts together my stretcher boards and makes sure the canvas is tight. And he's like, what do we need to get? He yeah. totally supports it. And then I think, especially after I did, you know, I started posting every day and his friends were like, wow, Gigi does a lot of art. And he goes, you have no idea. You know, <laughs> like you have no idea mm-hmm. the art that is around our house. And I think his support really, it opened it up for me. It does matter to have people in your life that want you to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my daughter, I told her when she was born, I remember looking at her and saying, we will always have money for books and art supplies. Mm-hmm. I do not care. I mean, books, I, we'll, we'll scour thrift stores. I have books in my house I haven't read yet because I really believe if there is a zombie apocalypse, I need them there. And I did read a <laughs> bunch of them when we weren't leaving our house. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. And also now we have Kindle, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is one of those things where I'm like, I, there's something about touching pages that's important. Agreed. Yeah. Well, having him be very supportive of that has helped me a lot. So when I started posting every day, I was just one thing. And now I'm like, I'm just going to post it all. And, mm-hmm. and that's really opened up to people seeing what I can do. They give me a lot of feedback. And I think it's important if you ever want to make money from it, you have to step outside your own ego and figure it out mm-hmm. and still have your own style, but be able to say, okay, people are really attracted to blue or people are really attracted to these abstracts that aren't, I don't know. And then now people have been saying, 
oh, your stuff is a lot brighter and lighter. And I said, you know, well, last year was a heavier year. Mm -hmm. But I also have done videos where I'm showing myself and I'm like scraping and talking and everyone's like, have you ever heard of ASMR? You should do those, you know? Yeah, yeah. That would be funny, artist ASMR. But to answer your question, I just decided I would post it because I I was doing all of it and I thought it needs an audience. I feel like artists need audience. Yeah. There is this weird line of like sharing sometimes feels it it makes it feel like it's an ego thing. But on the other hand, it's like art deserves to be shared. And if you're not shared, like you can be your own audience, but there's something that begs to be shared about it. Also, I love the having your own space and making space, even though that was like a physical manifestation of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think in our lives, we need to make the space for all. And so I do a little bit of art therapy coaching, but most of the time it's, it's more creativity coaching. And so, and so when people are like, oh, I I can't believe how creative you are. I don't have that in me. And I'll say, we just spent 20 minutes talking about how you learned how to make sourdough starter and are baking these beautiful breads that I see. I'm like, that is art. And they're like, no, that's just baking. And I'm like, baking is, is art. It's a science and it's an art, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think people think that if something's technical, it stops being creative. Yeah. I'm like, why do they call it the medical arts then? Yeah. You know, yeah. why, why do they say that science and math are co- closely related to the arts? I, I think engineers are some of the most creative people we have on the planet. Mm-hmm. Look at the people that created the vaccines. That's creative work. That is creative work. Yes. The amount of problem solving. I feel like that really goes hand in hand with creativity yes. and making things. It's insane. Yes. And I think that's honestly why in high school, I got voted most creative was because if there was a problem, I was the first one to be like, Ooh, I like this puzzle. Let me figure it out. Yes. Yes. You know? And, and I think that, yeah, I do think, I think that we need artists and we need more words written. We need more paintings painted. We need more music created because especially this last year showed we, we are missing out on shows that we love because they couldn't film. Mm-hmm. And, and yet what sustained people, I mean, I think about, remember when Italy closed down and people were literally singing from their balconies and playing yes. music and sharing it, it. I don't know. I don't know how you make it through anything without creativity. Mm-hmm. Cavemen used to tell stories by painting stick figures on caves. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, it's I mean, like an important part of being a human. Yeah. Yes. And storytelling is why I really love my job. I really, I'm so minimalist that I don't, I don't care that much about, like people say, oh my God, don't look at my hair today. And I'm like, please, I, it's not, honestly, every day people sit in my chair and they tell me stories and that's Mm -hmm. what I like about it. Yeah. You know, cause I have the word right tattooed on me and that's why I started following you was because Mm -hmm. I thought I, I've, I've been able to do this with my art. Why am I so, why is the writing so precious? And mm-hmm. the, the art's not as precious. I, I, I managed to work through it so much that I can just do it and it feels fun yeah. and people are buying it and they're enjoying it. And that's an accomplishment. Yeah. So why, why have I beaten the words to death that I'm nervous to let anybody see them? I don't understand it. That is a great question. That's something I'm personally working through. Like I had that um, short story collaboration I did with Aira. She uh, does these little minis and yes. stuff. It was so cool getting to see her heart, but then getting to share the short story. I was like, yeah. oh, this is actually really nice. Who yes. knew? 
And I so. have friends who are writers and it's like how I am about the abstracts, like here's my abstract, you mm-hmm. know, I am for whatever. Um, they're like that about their stories. And to me, I think I just put a lot of pressure on myself, even as a little kid. Like mm-hmm. the, I remember those books I was telling you about with the dental floss and everything. Yeah. I, I wrote out a whole like 12 set um, small novels in my seven-year-old world yeah. of this princess who was dropped here from another planet. I didn't realize I was copying Superman, but basically <laughs> it was a princess instead. Uh-huh. And she still had like a, a psychic connection to the animals on her planet. So she, you know, it was like a very fantastical. Yeah. And somewhere there are these little weedy books made by a seven-year-old who didn't worry about it. And when my daughter started writing, I didn't care about uh, grammar. I didn't care about punctuation, spell it however it sounds. And she Mm -hmm. wrote just a ton of stuff. Yeah. When you start worrying and making it all precious, I think Elizabeth Gilbert did her podcast after she did Big Magic. Yeah. She was talking to someone like we're talking now. And she said, basically, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to break your heart. Please forgive me. And the woman said, what? And she said, your art is not precious. Mm-hmm. She said, it's not precious. And it makes me think about how I have clients that got into like a watercolor class. And they say things like, I bought this expensive paper 10 years ago. I've never used it. And I think, What? you spent money on a piece on paper yeah. and you haven't used it in 10 years. And then I remember you haven't really finished the stuff that you've made precious. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I have one novel that I've been writing for 10 years mm-hmm. and it's too precious and I yeah. need it to not be. Yeah. And yeah. I don't get it. Like you've published a lot of stuff and I'm like, it takes courage to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. How do we make it not precious <laughs> how do we like rework our brain yeah I don't know that? because it's not precious to Stephen King and Neil Gaiman and people that are so popular and prolific yeah it's yeah not precious they just sort of like how I do all these abstracts and throw them out they're throwing out stories yeah and they're good and sometimes they're not so good I mean sometimes- I've read Stephen King where I'm like Phoebe what happened yeah. you know right. and then other stuff where you're like crying and you want it to be like forever bound in you yeah yeah I don't know I don't know how to get I I mean it's weird because I coach other people and I'll help them with their stories and it's so easy to help other people Mm -hmm. but mine mine's precious I don't know why yeah yeah (laughs) no you're over here having me rethink I'm like but why why do I make it precious (laughs) this is gonna be in my brain for weeks I can tell I'll think oh middle earth it's so precious yeah I don't know like you need math you know I mean yeah yeah I don't know either that is it's like we're holding our own stories hostage I don't get it yeah I think that is I think that's what we're doing that's fascinating Hmm. (laughs) it's the one thing I mean like I said I tattooed the word on my wrist like Mm -hmm. to beat myself up like it's a bully every day I'm like yeah I get it you know (laughs) right oh man and I'm like, why is this the one thing? And it matters to me. Like I said, stories are the reason why I stayed in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to schedule myself too. But yeah. yeah, there's an important part of like uh, getting to share the art or getting to share what you've made is so important, but also just like the lifestyle too. Yeah. I totally yeah. understand. I like working for myself. 
Yes. I'm like, you if know, I, I mean, never have to work for anyone else again. for friends who were super generous with how I schedule myself. And I was mm-hmm. like, I am miserable. I can't do it. I don't make as much as some of my friends. I mean, I have friends who six figures and whatever. And my family, we live off pretty, I mean, a small amount, but we live off of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, once I pay everything out, we probably make closer to 50,000, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's enough to, you know, live yeah. off. Yeah. That's, that was always my goal. Um, I feel like millennials are well known for the whole manipulating the gig economy, but I've yeah. been doing that since I was nine. So I'm yeah. like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not Gen X. I don't know. I think that more people, also I've known people who made business precious. Like, oh, I can't open a business until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I opened my salon in downtown Boise, you know, super expensive. I had $3,000 and I was like, it better work. Yeah. You know, that, that wasn't, I mean, that was like a month and a half worth of anything, you know, and right. I'm like, we're going to do this. And it, was it perfect? No. Our, our beginning stations it. were like beat up doors that we bought for $5 and then we painted them and beat them up more and then stuck mirrors on them. You know, I mean, that's very cool though. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, we're going to do this, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. No, somehow I always just think you're going to fall forward, hopefully. Right. Mm-hmm. And or I you have people like, I need like $50,000 to start the business I want. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But why, why can't I think that way about the writing? Like I should just be all brave and just like finish stuff and, and, and self-publish. Also the one story, I really want like an agent and I want it to be like a, you know, a true press and all this stuff. And I'm like, why? I'm over here too, where I'm like, cause I'd love to, I want to self-publish these stories, but also there are some that I'm just like, but I want a team and I want to work together to do this thing, get it in all the bookstores. I know. I mean, I, I have close friends who own our local bookstore. They own three of them. So they own like one downtown Boise and then a, a used bookstore and then mm-hmm. one that's in a different county. And they they don't do self-publishing. You know what I mean? Like they won't put your yeah. stuff in their store. And I keep mm. thinking, I want them to be proud and have my stuff in their store too, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I just think, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they don't mind independent publishers, but they but they don't want like, self-published yeah Yeah. there is a weird stigma well it's also interesting because I'm sure coming from you know also the painting community where there's not the same amount of gatekeepers for that kind of thing like if you're selling your art then you're selling your art and it doesn't matter if it was like featured in a museum or so I don't know how it works although I will freely admit that I reached out to a local gallery that's pretty well known and I have friends who have had their stuff there for Mm -hmm. years and so I just I kind of just sent out like a quickie little DM and I was like, Hey, how, how does one get into your gallery? I said, cause I have all this time on my hands now that I'm closed and I'd really love to know that. And I think yeah. maybe I, I don't know. They never replied. Oh. I felt really like, I felt like, wow, that was kind of a smackdown by not replying to me. I felt like, wow. So you don't think I'm an artist. Got it. <laughs> like it just felt very weird to me. Right. Yeah. And then when I look at people who are in galleries and they're like, they had an MFA from this and they went to, you know, this, they, they studied at the Sorbonne in mm-hmm. 87. And I'm like, uh, I had this associates from a non-accredited school. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Right. I feel like, yeah. Oh, I'm like art school dropout or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess that is a good point too. If there is still some amount of 
I don't know, gatekeeping or like uh, this. I think this it's article. more mm-hmm. like prestige, don't you think? There we go. Yeah. You can it. self-publish and I can sell my own art and hopefully I'll self-publish if I can't mm-hmm. find an agent. But there's still that part of you that's like, but I want an agent and I want to be able to thank them in the, you know. Yeah. Like- yeah. And the acknowledgements, of course. Yeah. yeah. I think there is some amount of the prestige, which I think is okay too. Like, yeah. you know, it's fine to want that. Yeah. But honestly, I I have one friend, he's probably, I think he's writing his 12th or 13th novel in this post-apocalyptic world. And he based it all when he used to DM like D&D. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. he created this world and then decided to, to make, and he still publishes and he, you know, he does, I, I'm pretty sure it does pretty well, you know, yeah. like maybe yeah. I should connect you guys and you can talk to him. He's a very fascinating person. And his wife is a research librarian who is really into horror so she belongs to this like horror group of librarians and oh, they're, they're really cool people. They live in Wichita now, but yeah. What a cool couple. They're very to- cool. And then like, I don't know if it's because of allergies or whatever, but like the only pet they have is a guinea pig that yeah. they totally post about all the time. I mean, and they, they are into death metal. Like they're like way cooler than I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I don't right. know. It's just funny. And I, but, but he doesn't care that he's self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Seth Godin doesn't care if you self-publish you know yeah, what I mean? <laughs> exactly yeah like yeah. publish 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 I mean yeah. he's very like take the pressures out do the things and I'm like yeah. okay Seth please yeah that's you know? so I, I need a pep talk for him no he's the best but I feel like I want to I need to take what I feel about the art put it into the words yeah I don't know how and part of it was like I I was editor of my high school paper until I got fired because our principal's son committed suicide and I refused to write it as a straight news story. And he was like, it's your job to do this. And I, I told him to fuck off. Frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, no, that is not how we deal with this. Yeah. And so he, oh he demoted me to entertainment editor. And, but I overthought every single word I ever wrote for that man. And yeah. other people now I had one person that was on the paper with me from high school and he posted something about, I loved that teacher. He made me who I am today. And I was like, he's the reason I'm not like a famous journalist or whatever. I'm like, nope. I thought I was going to be editor of Vanity Fair someday if I wasn't a famous famous actor. Right. (laughs) Because we have to have wide dreams. Yes. I don't know. I mean, it was the person who built you up just to break you down kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's I only have one other friend that was on that paper with me who feels the same way. Everyone else just thought he was some sort of writing God. Really? Yeah. And I just think about how he just broke me down. Yeah. It's the impact that teachers can have is crazy. Cause I know some of my favorite subjects ended up being, I learned a love for them because of the teachers or my love just dive bombed because of the teacher. I, um, like I said, I was always really academic. Mm-hmm. And I was like the, the only girl in the group that was ahead in math and stuff like that. And, yeah. and I hated my calculus teacher my senior year. And I thought, I already have four years of high school math. Why am I here? I'm not going to be an engineer. I don't even want that. Mm-hmm. And he and I had a moment and I basically told him he could fuck off, which yeah. sounds like my senior year, I just broke down and told everybody to F off which I kind of did. It was just a really bad time. Mm -hmm. And I was mad at my parents because when I asked them for help for, you know, like the information for financial aid and scholarships, they refused to give me their personal information. 
because they're just afraid of that stuff. My dad, oh, okay. you know, mm-hmm. like they just are different politically and everything else too. Yeah. I was like, fine, I guess I'm not going to college. So after that, I was like, I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Screw it. I guess I'm just going to be the big loser. You know, like yeah. I just, it was a dark time. Yeah. But it, it was also weirdly freeing to be able to tell people what I really thought about them. And I had loved math until yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah, it's weird though, because I'm still that person who can help my kids with math and they're in high school and they're all, they're both ahead in math, you know? Yeah. My husband and I got married with kids the same age. So we have two sophomores right now. Yeah. Crazy times. I know. I, I swear that's like, I, that's a TV show in the making. I know. <laughs> I can see it oh, so God. We'd have humor and drama and dark comedy, I guess. Yes. It would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. We have a very weird family. Yeah. It's like, yeah. my, um, so like I said, my daughter's an artist. She does mm-hmm. a lot of digital stuff now. And she, she writes, um, she won't share her writing with me. I don't know mm-hmm. why. But she'll kind of give me a little summary. And I'm like, that sounds amazing. You could self-publish. And she's like, yeah. mom, not everything has to be for other people. And I'm like, <laughs> does it? Okay. Yeah. I always an audience, but okay, whatever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For herself. That's fine. When she was younger, she had a group of friends. They actually had the same Google Doc and they would write their characters part. Yeah. They, they like have pages and pages. And now none of them talk to each other. But oh, yeah. Back in the day, they would, and if they, like, if we went on vacation and she wasn't going to check in, she'd be like, and then she passed out <laughs> and then everybody would write around it. And then she'd come back and be like, I woke up and I was, you know, or whatever. And it was, yeah, that's so I cool. I, um, thing together. yeah, I started this, uh, on campus writing organization when I was in college and some of them had done like role-playing games before and I oh hadn't gosh. done anything like that since like seventh grade or something like that so I just watched for a little bit but they basically did what your daughter did and where they were all writing their characters in this story together and like none of the characters had met but it felt very like um I'm playing D&D now with my brother it felt like that and I was like this is so cool this whole area of writing and creativity together that I had never seen before experienced before no and which is funny because I imagine it would be like sitting with the SNL you know writers and yeah oh you should totally do oh that'd be perfect which is funny because I have done you know like people will say well I'm writing the script and I'm like send it to me I want to read it you know and they'll send it and I'll look at it and go I could totally see this and this I I have these questions about this Mm -hmm. oh I think it would be so cool if if you figured out this with this person you know and yeah. sometimes they use it and sometimes it's just like a jogger, you know, like I just need somebody to, to pace me or help me or whatever. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's funny. And then my stepson, he, he's more of a math brain kid, mm-hmm. but he's really into history and he memorizes all this stuff. And lately, so he got into that um, man in the high castle thing. Okay. Alternative history based on World War II. So Mm -hmm. he's been doing alternative history now. So he's making maps and he just does like bulleted lists. It's not like a, it's not like a storyline. It's just, if this had happened instead of this, then America would be like this. So he's like shifting and it's like part of the U.S. isn't really the U.S. now in his world, you know? Yeah. And he's just building a background. And I said, are you going to do it like textbooks? And he was like, oh, I could do it like that. And I said, it'd be really funny and good to do these alternate history textbooks, you know, I said, it doesn't have to be a story. You could be like, and then in 1810, this happened, you know, and then people would 
want to look up what really happened. Yeah, as think it would worse them. Yeah, so I mean, he doesn't think of himself as a creative person. So when he was a kid, I was like, no, everybody's creative. So we would just try to really encourage that, you know? Yeah, no, what he's doing sounds super creative to me. Yeah. I think that's yes. so cool. Well, that's just it. Rhiannon, my, my daughter's Rhiannon and he, uh-huh. he's Sebastian. She's like, you should totally write this stuff down. Cause he'd just be like, what if this happened? What if this happened? She's like, you should write this down. I'm like, I agree. So he has started doing that. That's awesome. I'm like make a timeline. Timelines are cool and creative because he's, his brain is very engineering, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you just, you just need to do that. Yeah. Well, that's what, when I was at the on-campus writing organization, 50% of the people there were engineers, like, yeah. or an engineering major. Like that's yeah. the amount of creativity you have to have in order to picture things in a certain way. It's just, and it spreads everywhere too. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I, I worked at a local semiconductor company as a trainer out there. I, <laughs> I said it was my camp counselor job and I worked with dozens of engineers and technicians and it was amazing to me how creative they could be, you mm-hmm. know, and just the problem solving, like you talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, um, I was watching, uh, Brandon Sanderson's lecture series that he has. Yeah. Uh, and he talked about how at one point, one of his jobs was coding. And so my boyfriend also likes, he has done NaNoWriMo before, but he's oh, yeah, yeah. a computer person. That's the yeah, extent of my yeah. knowledge on it, but he does coding and stuff too. And it's like, it's interesting. The same brain that picks up as yep. writing a story, the amount of creativity and problem solving involved is just ah. insane. And I'm like, that should be seen as more creative than it is from outside people. I wonder if people don't think it's creative because the boundaries are set there. They have to do it a specific way. And if maybe that means to them that that's not creative. And I'm like, no, if, if anything, I, I sometimes think back to like in, being in school and I took creative writing classes in college and, um, and, and, when they gave you those boundaries, when they were mm-hmm. like, okay, it can't be romance and it can't be blah, blah, blah. It needs to be this long. It can't be this short. You know, when, when the, you had to write to their specifics, mm-hmm. I, I did it. I could yeah. do it. It's almost yeah. like with no boundary. I'm like, yeah, no, I need help. You yeah. know? Yeah. I, I do have a weird question. Um, oh, and yeah. you can tell, you can tell me if I'm wrong. So I was, okay. I'm in the middle of revision right now. Um, and I don't know why, I guess, cause I was going to talk to you today and yeah. we were talking about, um, you know, how, you know, cutting hair, styling hair, doing all these things with hair is also creative. Yes. And I was like, I wonder if it's similar to the revision process. Like you start out with something. Right. And then you're now almost transforming it. Yeah. So I'm just curious if that makes sense in your brain or if it's like, do you have any other things where painting is similar to this part of the writing process or this part of this process kind of thing? So for me, yeah, actually that's, I love that you put it that way. Cause I think it is, it's, and I think that's sometimes why it's easier for me to help other writers than mm-hmm. for myself sometimes is because people come in and they have, there's like, I have fine hair, I have curly hair, I have long hair, I have short hair. These are the pictures of the things I like. And I have to figure out how to meet the two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's easy for me to come up with a solution if I'm like, well, I can't make it do this because your hair is this, you Mm -hmm. know, or you've already written this part, so it has to be this part. And I do agree that there's something to that because you're trying to get to a specific end when you're revising. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, I'm going through this and maybe this needs a little bit more detail or whatever. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like the part where I, I say to the client, you know, they'll show me their picture, I'll do the things. And then I'll say, okay, now play around with that. 
and they'll lean forward and stare at themselves and do all this stuff. And they're like, it feels heavy here. And that's kind of like revision. You're like, well, this chapter seems pretty heavy here. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And then in the end, you've neatened everything up and you've got it where you want it. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of, even when I'm doing hair, there's a lot of revision. I'm like, does it feel short enough? You know, I can't paste any back on. So I, I, I'm that person who comes at it too. Like I've known hairstylists that the person will say, I want it to be here. And they're like, it, this looks better here. And then they'll just start doing what they want. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I want people to be satisfied too. Yeah. So, and you want the same. I mean, like you want your books to sell. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, you want them to still be, I don't know. It's kind of like kids. I, I mean, I have my daughter and my stepson and you're like, I want you to be your own person, but I also need you to have a little bit of these things that are from me. Right. You know? and, and that's kind of like when they do something and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. That's kind mm-hmm. of that part where you're like, okay, I need to neaten this up a little, you know? Right. So I think all yeah. of it's kind of like that. Yeah. And I think the reason why I work on little paintings at first or try different things with smaller pieces before I do like a giant one. I mean, every now and then I'll jump at a giant thing and just start going at it. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of want to practice little things. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's like short stories instead of a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was almost even thinking, I think that's probably a better idea, but I was over here like, oh, it reminds me of my zero drafting process where I'm just kind of trying to see what works on the page first. And then yeah. like, I go back and make it more how I want as I go. So I can see how you start small and you're like, okay, is this what I want? And then you get to the bigger one. Now I just need to do what you're doing. And actually (laughs) I have been braver, especially since you asked me to be on your podcast. Uh I thought, well, I, I, I need to say that I have written something. So our local, we have a, um, we have the log cabin literary center here Mm -hmm. in Boise and they have an anthology that comes out and they give you like a theme. And I thought, this is good. I'll have a parameter. So the word was rupture. Mm -hmm. And um, I did a small poem that was about the stuff that's happening in our divided states, you know, Mm -hmm. and a small one. And it was all about how um, social media helps really make that worse, you know? And so it was like, just a very short one, but it was very like, I got to get this out of me. Yeah. And um, so I wrote that poem and then I did a short story and they had like, it had to be no more than 1500 words. And mine was exactly like 1499, you know, yeah. cause I'm that yeah. person. I'm like, okay, you gave me this and I'm going to need it. Mm-hmm. So, and I wrote about, I fictionalized when my dad's sister died, she was like one of his best friends and mm-hmm. she had been like a forest ranger and she, her husband had passed away and she still had the job. And so I, I wrote about the day that she died he was six miles past this like old rural bar. And when you live, I don't, there, you know, how there are just these weird parts of the States where you're driving and there's like nothing. And then there's just a funky bar with like a gas station, you know, yep, yep. in the middle of nowhere. So she's, pa- she's going past this bar. It's like gravel dirt back road kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the truck breaks down. So she hikes all the way back. It's nighttime. She gets to the bar and she says, can I use your phone um, to call somebody in my truck broke down? And the guy, like, it's it's like, we're talking landline years. So he leans down, the phone's under the counter because he doesn't want people messing with it. And he picks it up and he sticks it on the bar itself. And he goes, sure, go ahead. And she picks it up and she starts to dial. And the next thing he knows, she's on the ground. She'd had an aneurysm in her brain. And this is how my aunt died. Yeah. And so I, I fictionalized that where 
you know, she's talking to her husband on the walk back and she's not afraid of like animals jumping in the middle, whatever, because mm-hmm. that's just who she was. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I wrote about that because I made it like a flat tire. So the rupture was both the tire and her brain, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I was like, okay, so I wrote some stuff. This is good. I can get back into this, you know? Yeah. yeah. Every year I'll attempt NaNoWriMo too. And I think the most I've ever done was like 27,000 words, mm-hmm. which is half. You know, when I told myself, I'm going to take it as a win. It's not my greatest writing, you know? Right. Nano never is. I I think I only got to like 3000 and then I was just like, um, fatigued, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I I always in my, I have tons of, I have one friend who wrote two during NaNoWriMo. I don't understand how they do this. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I love that if we had to go through this pandemic the way we did, but at least we had content. Yeah. You know, I mean, just, there was a lot to learn and we had the time. I love that, that creative organizations tried to find a way to still, you know, create for the audience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't I think do it's too. a bad thing to, to create for an audience. I just don't think it's bad. No, I don't think so either. And I do get, I do like your daughter's point that not everything needs to be shared. I think there's some validity to that, but yeah, I do. Yeah, no, but I do love that art's being shared. I know. (laughs) Like both are true. And I understand her point too, because I've done a lot of journaling in my life too, but the Mm -hmm. fact that she's writing these and she's not writing it thinking someday it'll be famous. She's just writing these stories. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's great that you're, I mean, obviously art's so important to you just as your own person, but then to yeah. be instilling that in your kids, like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I need them to know that. I also, I think that it's the one thing that's just yours. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, you can share it and everything else, but it's coming directly from you and it's yeah. different than everyone else's stuff. Yeah. It will always be different than ever. Yeah. And you made it. Yeah. There's so many cool things. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't know. And I don't, I, I follow people that do weird stuff, you know, like Rihanna and my daughter's been making like handmade stickers, you know, that kind of stuff. And I, yes. I just, it doesn't have to be what anyone else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It can be a little bit funky or out there or whatever. And I kind of admire that more when they're not trying mm-hmm. to fit into a certain, I don't know, pattern of behavior. Thanks for having me on your show though yeah that's what I was going through the different questions I was like this was so much fun for me <laughs> a lot to think about which is great all right and if you liked what you heard from Gigi and you want to check out her daily paintings one of my favorite parts of following her on Instagram or support her writing you can find her online at ggihuntley.com or on Instagram at ggihuntley both will be listed in the show notes but oh my gosh I loved chatting with her so much she especially helped me re-examine why I'm making my writing precious and It's interesting because I have people in my life who do make business too precious, as she mentioned. You know, they'll research their future endeavors or hobbies endlessly to the point that they kind of get stuck in that research loop. I have writer friends who do the same. And I'm someone who sort of jumps in, uh, knowing it's not going to be great at first, but that's how I learn. I was like that with YouTube, with this podcast, with changing careers, though that might have been more of a mental health crisis, but you know. (laughs) But for some reason, I do make the writing precious, or I have in the past. There's still a few more weeks until Project Death is due to my friend Jessica, the first time an author new friend will be reading my work in progress and help me with it, which I'm teetering between nervous and excited for. And this afternoon, 
afternoon, I'll actually be working on posting the first episode of my D&D novelization project on my website. It's just trying to make the art unprecious. Deprecious? I'm a writer. I know those aren't words, <laughs> but you get my point. It is a baby step in the right direction. But that's going to be it for this episode. You can find me as Kate Kavanaugh Writes on YouTube, Twitch, and Instagram. And my website is readwriteroam.blog if you'd like to read that first episode. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find me on Patreon or Ko-fi at Kate Kavanaugh. The music for Making Money Making Art was created by the amazingly talented Megan Vidal. And I will see you all next week. Happy creating! Making money making art.